Time once again for a wine chat with our friend from Haskell's, Jack Farrell. Jack, this time for a change, it's above zero. <laughs> yes, and it's National Pizza Week. <laughs> oh, so I love it. What better thing to talk about with pizza than one of my favorite wines from Italy, Chianti. And Chianti is a wonderful, wonderful wine. You know, unfortunately, it got a bad rap uh, here in this country after Prohibition because it was regarded as a kind of a cheap Italian thing. They, Gallo made a whole bunch of uh, Chianti imitations in gallon jugs that really weren't very good at all. And uh, one of them was called Paisano, which, of course, in Italian means my friend. Uh, but the, the area of Chianti has a, just a noble and glorious history on winemaking. Uh, winemaking there is predated the Roman Empire. The Etruscans, which that whole area gets its history on winemaking, uh, winemaking there is predated the Roman Empire. The Etruscans, which that whole area gets its name from Tuscany, comes from the word Etruscans. The Etruscans were great wine growers and great wine exporters. Wine was a big commercial thing. And this is hundreds of years B.C., so it, it, it has a very noble history. In fact, uh, when you check up on looking into Chianti and all that, uh, the first references go back to that in the 13th century. And uh, actually, in the 18th century, uh, Cosmo III who ran that whole big area, because uh, Tuscany or, or the Chiani region runs from Florence all the way down to Siena and almost clear across all of Italy. So it's a big, big area. And I think there's about 19,000 uh, acres planted of vineyards in uh, Chiani. And it's just a, a, a real joy to be in that part of the world. The grape type is, of course... Uh, primarily Sangiovese, and uh, the original recipe for Chianti, which was set down in the 1800s, called for white wine, Malvasia Bianca grape, uh, to be put in it. Well, that's changed now, and a lot of changes occurred uh, under uh, Mussolini in the 30s, they figured the actual area of Chianti and what could be called Chianti, etc. And then again in the 60s, they changed it. Uh, and, and in the 30s, when they changed it, they changed the recipe. You didn't have to make it with all those different varietals or use white grapes. Because prior to that, if you didn't make it according to the recipe, you couldn't call it Chianti. So now the, it's pretty simple. It's 80% Sangiovese, must be 80% Sangiovese. And it also uh, can be other grape types. Uh, it can be anything you want, Cabernet, Merlot, uh, other Italian. They just have to be grown in the area. And when you look at a bottle of Chiani, you'll see something on the collar usually. It's called the Gallo Nero, the black rooster. In fact, the Gallo brothers uh, sued their other brother many years ago in California. He had a salami company. The two brothers, <clears throat> Ernest and Giulio Gallo, started Gallo Winery, which to this day is the largest family-owned winery in the entire world. Uh, and they were absolutely ruthless protecting their name. So they sued their brother who uh, called 
his company, Gallo, after the rooster. And, uh, in fact, they tried to sue the Italian government when they put the Gallo on the rooster, and they lost that case. But they won the case against their brother, and he had to stop calling his salami Gallo salami. But the Chianti wine, being 80% Sangiovese, uh, Sangiovese is a very approachable wine vine uh, and produces wine that is really delicious. And uh, it goes so well with so many things, particularly tomatoes. And, you know, think of pizza, think of Chianti. Uh, and you don't have to break the bank. You know, while some Chianti's can be quite expensive, uh, most Chianti's really aren't very expensive at all. In fact, when we think about Chianti, a lot of older folks will remember those uh, Tuscan wines that came in Frescati, a, a, a raffia bottle covered, and uh, they looked real pretty. And you'd go into an Italian restaurant 40 years ago, and every Italian restaurant would have one of those raffia bottles on it with all different color wax because they'd put in different color candles on the table. And it was very romantic and nice and kind of mood-setting. Today, uh, those raffia bottles are almost a collector's item. Nobody does them anymore. But their original purpose was rather interesting. Uh, they were a, a kind of an early vacuum bottle, if you will. Uh, you would fill up your uh, little frioski, which was a raffia-wrapped bottle, and drop it in the well. Uh, with a cork in it, obviously, and be in the water and be nice and cold in there. Then they'd take it up and go out in the field, and during the day, the sun would evaporate that water out of the raffia and keep the wine chilled for when you had to have lunch. And uh, so that was the original purpose of it. However, like I say, when they came here, and even in Italy, it made for a very attractive candle holder on the table. And as I said, the history is really remarkable. Cosmo de' Medici III uh, set out the rules. And then in uh, 1967, they began to change the rules and expand the space and come into the modern world of wines. Uh, the Chianti area is really very tightly regulated. And uh, you just can't imagine uh, how quality-prone those Italians are for Chiani, the ones that make really good ones. I was fortunate enough to be part of a group that owned a winery in Tuscany, and we produced Chianti uh, for about 10 years uh, when a big conglomerate bought us out. And being a minority stockholder in a minority business of a big conglomerate uh, just wasn't our idea, so we sold out to the conglomerate. And I kind of regret it because it was fun to have that pride of ownership and the wine won lots of awards. It was called Villa Cafaggio, and it's available today still, and it's still a pretty good Chianti wine. You know, the, probably the main dish of the Chianti region is uh, a T-bone steak, and they cook the steak over vine cuttings, and they brush that steak with garlic and olive oil and sometimes a little rosemary. And then when you have a, that steak with a glass of wine, boy, I'll tell you, you're really living. And... Like I said, the Italians were quick to latch on to all this information. And the, about the time wines were beginning to explode around the world and consumption was going up in the late 60s, early 70s, 
the, the wines of Italy spread around the world. And Chianti was reasonable, uh, delicious. It was an approachable wine. It wasn't very difficult to find Chiantis that you liked. And, of course, travel broadens everybody. And uh, in my opinion, there's probably no more beautiful wine-producing area in the entire world than there is in Tuscany. All those wonderful hill towns uh, you can go out to every day, never be bored. You could probably stay a month and visit a different town every day and enjoy yourself the entire month. Uh, it's hard to get a bad meal in those little bitty towns. And the wine is very readily available, and everybody has a favorite. But like I say, Chiani itself is one of my favorite wines. It, it's always so approachable. And uh, it can take bottle age very nicely. I think I told this story a few weeks ago when we talked about uh, closures on wine. We did an experiment. It must be 25 years ago. Uh, we bottled uh, one case of wine with corks and one case with Stelvin closures, the screw cap. And we opened them every year for about five or six years. And even at the end, the sixth year, which I think was the last time we opened them, the one that had the Stelvin or screw cap tasted like the day it went into the bottle. It was just luscious, young, and wonderful. However, the one that had the cork in it had begun to develop a little character in the bottle, and to my taste, it was much better. Uh, that cork-aged wine really is, a, uh, when you're talking about expensive wines, and we bottled our best Chianti, in that cork bottle, and we did the same with, of course, the Stelvin. But uh, it's just remarkable. When you visit there, if you do visit there, there's a little town called Grevy and Chiani, and it's the first place I ever saw uh, automatic wine dispensers, and it must be 25 years ago, at least, maybe 30. You would take a euro or a lira, I think it might even been at the time, and you'd put the coins in, and they'd dispense you one or two ounces and they had probably eh, maybe a hundred different wines you could sample in this big room, uh, and it was in the town of Grevy and Chiani, a charming little town. Uh, and it, it was my introduction to those automatic tasting uh, machines, and, and it was pretty good. And as I said, it, it, with Chiani, it's really remarkable all the things Chiani will go with, and the reason being is it's very fruit forward the grape type, and it, when you're having that fruit for, and things like tomatoes, you know, are very, very high in acid, and so it's very hard, really, to particularly join a wine with a tomato-based dish, and of course, let's face it, an awful lot of Italian dishes have a marinara base, and even bolognese has tomatoes in it, uh, so what wine do you pick for, well, always go for the wine of the region. And inasmuch as Tuscany is such a big, broad region, as I said, it goes all the way from Florence down to Siena and almost clear across Italy. And they make wonderful wine there. And the wine, of course, is called Chianti. It, it even has, I think, an easy way to say it. You know, it, it's. I remember when I first started in the wine business, the, everybody's favorite white wine was Puy Fusse. And I think they like to say that. I think people like to say Chianti. Uh, it just it gives you a nice impression. You think of Chianti, think of those rolling hills in uh, Tuscany. 
and stopping in those wonderful little restaurants on the plaza and having a glass of Chianti and maybe a slice of pizza. It's just absolutely delicious and kind of a wonderful thought to hold on a cold winter day here in Minnesota. But Chianti is really uh, just a marvelously versatile red wine that everybody should be familiar with. So if you're not familiar with Chianti, I suggest you go and buy some. Uh, you can. We have a, a range of wines, starting with our own Cassaforelli Chianti, which is very modestly priced and is a delicious, accessible, everyday drinking wine and is priced accordingly. It's very reasonable, and that's Forelli Chianti. And then, of course, we can, you can go up and you get even the Chianti Reserve, which is aged uh, at least 24 months in barrels, and... Uh, that would be something like Villa Cafaggio, which is a marvelous uh, property. It's still run uh, in a first-class manner, even though a big conglomerate owns it. They are giving it the attention it deserves, and the wine quality has remained very consistent. But uh, as I said, Chiani has a noble history, uh, and it's got a great future, and uh, the reason is the wine is just bloody good, and uh, the area is, like I said, uh, I would think that while I'm at heart basically a Burgundian and love Pinot Noir and Chardonnay and love to go to Burgundy and participate and all that, I think my favorite geographic area in the entire wine world is that area that is called Tuscany, still named after those Etruscans so long ago, and that's the heart of Chiani. And Chianti, as I said, they've put in all these regulations which have done nothing but increase the quality of different Chiantis until they reach a point today where I think they can take the rightful place in the great world of wine with great wines from anywhere in the world. The wine is really that good. And, of course, it has a lot to do with that wonderful grape, the Sangiovese, and, of course, they say this is Sangiovese, is a native Italian grape, and it might very well be. I don't know that. But I do know that it's been cherished and loved by people in this particular area of the world for centuries, in fact, thousands of years. And that's a pretty good endorsement on any wine, especially if you're going to celebrate pizza week and have some pizza. Why not have a wine that's affordable, delicious, and has a noble history? I think tonight's the night for all of the above. That's great, Jack. And if you want to explore, you don't have to go to Tuscany, although a beautiful place, just explore any Haskell's location. In fact, the folks at Haskell's love to marry food and wine, and they are pretty good at it. After all, we've been doing it for 85 years. You'll find a Haskell's near you where you can save big dollars on wine. There's a Haskell's down in Bloomington, in Excelsior, in Faribault, right off at 35. Maple Grove Supercellar is not to be missed. That's a great walk through the vineyards of the world. 22,000 square feet of wineries are represented at our Maple Grove store. In Minneapolis, we have free parking on Saturday and Sunday downtown. There's the Haskells at Ridgedale, Plymouth, St. Paul's Highland Village, Stillwater, White Bear Lake, and Woodbury, too. And if you can't come into Haskells, go to Haskells.com. Answers a lot of questions. There's a lot of wonderful recipes, a lot of good food pairings on that site. And don't forget, we do deliver. Thank you so much, Jack. Let's uh, do this again next week. 
You know, Denny, I'm going to look forward to that. Jack Farrell.